Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Hoder. Hoder. Buddy. I know you're looking for something to do down there beneath the cave, but I want to make sure you know. Hold on. <laughs> Binge mode contains adult content. If you're okay with what you see on Game of Thrones, you'll be okay with binge mode. Hold on. And now, binge mode. Loras rots in a cell because of you. The High Sparrow rules this city because of you. Our two ancient houses face collapse because of you and your stupidity. I made a terrible mistake. I carry it with me every single day. Good. I delivered an army of fanatics onto our doorstep. And now we must fight them together. We need each other. I wonder if you're the worst person I've ever met. And welcome to Binge Mode. Yeah. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's finished chopping some wood and chatting with Brother Ray, it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. Sometimes you just want to, you need to get away into the woods and just build a, build a sept. The greenery, it's restorative. It's wonderful. Or so I hear. Yes. <laughs> Jason. Yeah. The gods aren't done with you yet. Uh, and neither is binge mode. Let's go. We are rewatching all 60 episodes of Game of Thrones. We're deep diving one at a time. Spoiler warning, as always, we will be going deep on details from the show and the books from this episode and beyond. So grab that axe because it's time to break down season six, episode seven, The Broken Man. Jason? Yeah. Hound back! Ow! <laughs> and I will give you the same advice that Brother Ray gave him. What's that? All we can do with the time we've got left is bring a little goodness into the world. It's not enough, is it? So let's start by offering up a brief refresher on what actually transpired in this seventh installment. Let's take a quick trip down our very own King's Road. Somewhere in the Riverlands, Quiet Isle in the books, the hound is alive! And he's living with a... Ragtag group of small folk led by a Septon, Brother Ray Swearingen. Brother Ray recognizes the hound, but he doesn't say so for a while. A trio of men purporting to be the brothers without banners, including Lem Lemon Cloak, attempt to extort the villagers. And sometime after that, the hound returns from chopping wood to find the entire village murdered and Brother Ray hanging from the sept. Yeah, boy. Unfinished sept. Yeah, boy. Yeah, it's tough. Hate when that happens. In King's Landing, Marjorie still in the custody of the faith, really committing to the bit. The High Sparrow enters the Sept to find Marjorie still workshopping a character she calls the suddenly virginal queen. So chaste. Crown looks nice on her, though. Does. Also a lovely color of the gown. Yeah. So virginal, in fact, that the High Sparrow is legitimately concerned about the lack of king-on-queen fucking happening between Marjorie and Tommen. The king needs an heir. These are the kinds of chats that everybody has with their, the men of the cloth in their lives. The woman just needs to be patient and just kind of endure 
The act, says the high sparrow. Is this where mansplaining originated? (laughs) I think so. (laughs) In King's Landing. Then the high sparrow sets Marjorie yet another task. Convert Lady Olena. Ah, that should be. Yeah, that's going to work. easy. Olena, what's she up to? Well, she is allowed to see Marjorie, who is still in character. Good thing, too, because Septa Unella is standing over them like a security guard trailing two shoplifters. And yet, Stealth Marge manages to slip Olena a message, a drawing of a rose, the sigil of House Tyrell. In one of the 347 five best scenes in Game of Thrones history, Olena and Cersei have a chat, and the Queen of Thorns reads the Queen Mother a legendary riot act. Across the north at the gift. In the shadow of the wall, John asks the wildlings for their support in the coming war against the Boltons. They're hesitant, though. This isn't their fight, they rightly point out. And after the losses at Hardhome, the free folk are on the edge of extinction. Later at Bear Island, is that Leona Mormont's music I hear? It is. She's great. She's pretty good. What a queen. After a very, 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 very shaky start, which includes Jon Snow not mentioning that he has the ancestral sword of House Mormont strapped to his waist, Davos wins the support of House Mormont for the Stark cause. Later at Deepwood Mott, Lord Glover is like, fuck you guys. <laughs> he sucks, man. Yeah, listen. Yeah. It's, been, it's uh, been a tough two and a half years and change for the Glovers. Jon's army, such that it is, camps at the very same spot as Stannis's army. On their march to Winterfell, it's a lucky spot. Mm. Sansa takes the opportunity to fire off a raven to somebody. Peter, please. Peter, please. <laughs> oh, let her. In River Run. Ah, Cooper and Darnell, at the head of the Lannister army, arrive at the phrase sad excuse for a siege in order to get the Blackfish to open up. The phrase very unconvincingly threatened to execute Lord Edmure. Jamie comes in and takes control. He asks to parlay with the Blackfish, who indulges him. He lets treat. And in yeah. the course of this conversation, dunks on the Kingslayer roughly 57 times. I suppose you're here to honor your agreement with my niece. <laughs> what a great opener. Oh, yeah, that. Well, here's the thing. In Volantis. In the most savage scene ever recorded. On in, any show. On any show ever. in the history of media, Yara takes her brother Theon, who has had his genitals shorn off to a brothel, and makes him watch as she smashes with a really quite lovely <laughs> volantine whore. Then later in Bravos. The waif disguised as an old woman, that classic trademark waif trick, classic waif. Stabs Arya in the friggin' guts, turns the knife. Arya, grievously wounded, jumps into a canal and swims away. Not sure how she is alive. Ah, let's just we'll, not look a gift. We'll roll with it. Yeah, not look a plot armor in the mouth. Mal. Yeah. Ramsay Bolton cannot be allowed to hold Winterfell. No, 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 no. It's our duty to stop him. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's cut right to the core of it by sticking with the pointy and the defining theme of this episode is when the lost cause is the just cause. Ooh. Anyone can do the right thing when it's popular, when it's good to do, when everybody agrees that that's the right thing. But what about when it could cost your life? Mm. What happens when the bad guys win, fear rules the land, and fighting for what's right 
isn't just a good, it's a sacred good. Interesting. Interesting question. I'm glad you asked. Yeah. Why don't we start with John? Because he is fighting for a just cause mm-hmm. and he is going all around to try to get other people to fight with him. Starts with the wildlings. This is his easiest pitch meeting, probably. He I would say so. He went to their aid at Hardhome right. over the objections of his sworn brothers when no one else was lining up to help them. So, yeah, yeah, sure. The cold ones are rising. Right. Sure. This was an act of self-preservation as much as anything. It wasn't just an open-handed display of compassion, but he saved the lives of people who many in the realm consider enemies at best and subhuman enemies at worst. Wildlings are certainly not popular. John's rescue mission is what got him killed. He gave his life for these people. And, ah, useful talking point when trying to get those very people, the free folk, to fight for a cause that isn't actually their concern. Dimdolba. Great name. I like this guy. What a guy. We've seen him up at Hard Home. He's one of the... Uh, he's the guy you recognize who's spoken words who you don't know his name, but he's a wildling. You're like, ah, another ginger. Yeah. <laughs> he says, We said we'd fight for you, King Crow, when the time comes, and we meant it, but this isn't what we agreed to. These aren't White Walkers. This isn't an army of the dead. This isn't our fight. Reasonable point. They never signed up to wage the wars of Westerosi lords. That's not what this was ever about. But Tormund is saying, well... Guys, if it weren't for John, none of us would be here. All of you would be meat in the Night's King's army. I'd be a pile of chod bones. Also a strong argument. Perhaps not enough, though, for a group of people facing the very real possibility that their vibrant, ancient culture is on the brink of vanishing from the world. Let's hear from that, that dim dalba. Dimmy dalba. <laughs> yeah, and again, remember Mance's camp. Stretched all the way to the horizon. Look at us now. Look what's left of us. If we lose this, we're gone. He knows. He knows how close they are to extinction. We will be the last of the free folk. So John Wise seizes on that. He's going to use that argument to his advantage. Well, that's what will happen to you if we lose. The Boltons, the Karstarks, the Umbers, they know you're here. They know that more than half of you are women and children. After they finish with me, they'll come for you. You're right. This isn't your fight. You shouldn't have to come to Winterfell with me. I shouldn't be asking you. I love the way he delivers that line. I shouldn't be asking you. (laughs) So funny. It's not the deal we made. It's not the deal we made. (laughs) But I need you with me if we're going to beat them. And we need to beat them if you're going to survive. Ah, smart. Turn your just cause into somebody else's survival cause. Tormund again reminds his fellow free folk of their debt to John. The crows killed him because he spoke for the free folk when no other Southerners would. He died for us. If we're not willing to do the same for him, we're cowards. And if that's what we are, we deserve to be the last of the free folk. Really, again, the bond between John and Tormund watching how this has continued to bud and grow, it's really beautiful. Yeah. And then one one. One one has been won over. No. <laughs> I can't I can't get that low. Next pitch meeting. Ah, Bear Island. Take us through this majestic meeting. Queen Liana. What a fuck fucking legend. Fucking you know, asking the northern houses for aid. It's going to be a much more, as we've seen, is a much tougher go for John and Sansa. Ned Stark, King Rob, they were good men, honorable men, beloved men, 
But flawed. Their mistakes, and they made a lot of mistakes, cost the North dearly. Thousands of men marched south with Rob. Husbands, brothers, fathers, sons, farmers, crofters, fishermen, trappers from all walks of life. And their absence was like blood in the water for the Ironborn. As soon as they left, the Ironborn descended on the North, reeved across the land, captured Deepwood Mott, sacked and burned Winterfell, occupied Moat Kalen, closing off the neck to any refugees that may be straggling north from, from Rob's armies. And the result was that, still to this day, precious few of the men who survived Rob's battles have returned home. And then, of course, thousands and thousands died. Men and women died. Uh, Mage Mormont, the Lady of Bear Island, was among Rob's most loyal supporters. She was there when he was proclaimed king in the north, and she died at the Red Wedding. So now John and Sansa have to convince the new Lady of Bear Island, 10-year-old Lyanna Mormont, that the under-new management Starks are actually still worth dying for. Sansa tries to open, you know, they always say open with an icebreaker, open with a joke, open with something warm that personalizes you to to your audience. And she says, I remember when you were born, my lady. You were named for my Aunt Liana. It was said she was a great beauty. I'm sure you will be too. And Liana's eyes roll out of her head so hard that they crash onto the floor and go out of the fucking castle and down into the Bay of Ice. She says, I doubt it. My mother wasn't a great beauty or any other kind of beauty. She was a great warrior, though. She died fighting for your brother, Rob. John says, I served under your uncle at Castle Black, Lady Liana. He was also a great warrior and an honorable man. I was his steward. In fact, I think we've had enough small talk, Liana says. Why are you here? She is such a legend. She's fucking iconic. You know, this is a tough ask for for Lady Mormont. She's lost a lot. And Bear Island is not a big place. I'll get into that in the Citadel. John says, you know, appealing now to her the sense of security or sense of duty. Ramsay Bolton cannot be allowed to keep Winterfell, my lady. It is our duty to stop him, even more so because he holds our brother Rickon Stark as prisoner. What you have to understand, my lady, is that, and Leona cuts him off. I understand that I'm responsible for Bear Island and all who live here. So why should I sacrifice one more Mormont life for somebody else's war? The idea that a battle for the North itself could be someone else's war really shows how horribly adrift everyone is at this point. It really shows the depth of the mistakes and miscalculations that the Starks have made over the years. John's a good man. Sansa is an increasingly adept player at the Game of Thrones, Um, you know, but they were born and raised in Winterfell, moving amongst high lords and ladies of the realm, and even John. Neither of them are particularly long on empathy for the common people, for their lesser uh, known houses. And in the face of countless tragedies with danger at every side, a call to duty, which is basically a Stannis move. This is your duty, your responsibility to do this. We know how Leanna feels about Stannis. (laughs) Irrespective of whatever else you have going on, this is your duty to do this. That can only go so far. So, of course... The job falls to Davos, whose every man touches delicate, even without his fingers. Davos says, you never thought you'd find yourself in your position. Being responsible for so many lives at a young age, I never thought I'd be in my position. I was a crabber's son. Then I was a smuggler. Now I find myself addressing the lady of a great house in time of war. But I'm here because this isn't someone else's war. It's our war. Leon is won over by this. She allows him to continue. Your uncle, Lord Commander Mormont, made this man his steward. He chose John to be his successor because he knew he had the courage to do what was right, even if it meant giving his life. Because G.R. Mormont and Jon Snow both understood that the real war isn't between a few squabbling houses. It's between the living and the dead. And then he goes on to appeal to her sense of northern patriotism. The North is under attack, not just from the Boltons, but... 
from the Night's King. The North cannot stand divided against that evil. Uh, he breaks through and we get we get a nice comedic moment. Liana says, House Mormont has kept faith with House Stark for a thousand years. We will not break faith today. And John says, thank you, my lady. How many fighting men can we expect? Get right. Let's get right to it. And Sharpen she, those swords. Yeah. Get those unis ready. Let's, we got to know. You know, we got to get the meals. How much mutton uh, should we prep? All that stuff. She kind of leans over to her maester and they check the figures. Carry the ones. This is right. This, this, this. 62. <laughs> John. Only, was, only two more men than episodes of binge mode. Right. John, by the way, uh, if you're going to be a leader of a region, a king, a respected lord, you need to learn to hide your disappointment in things that are given over that are precious. John is like 62. <laughs> and Liana says, we are not a large house, but we are a proud one. And every man from Bear Island fights with the strength of 10 mainlanders. And Davos, because Davos is the only one ever who knows all the time what to do, says, if they're as half as ferocious as their lady, the Boltons are doomed. It's great to see Davos bonding instantly. Yes. That instant right. chemistry with Liana makes us, makes us miss Shireen. The Glovers, John's third recruiting trip of the episode. Ooh, not going so well. You know, you see the you see Bear Island right away. It's beautiful, icy but beautiful. And you're like, this this might yeah. go okay. You get to Deepwood Moat, not the same kind of positive vibes. No, Ned and Rob's decisions were obviously disastrous for them personally, but. At least history will remember them. Thousands of other soldiers lost their lives fighting for Ned, fighting for Rob. Their sacrifices basically go unnoticed. So take the Glovers, for example. Lord Galbert died fighting with Rob. And then the ancestral seat, the old moat, Bailey Castle, Deepwood, sacked by the Ironborn, remained under their control for quite some time. Yeah. The justness of the Stark's cause notwithstanding, that family, the liege lords, they failed the Glovers. So why should Robert answer the call now and fight beside wildlings, a longtime enemy, yeah. when defeat seems a certainty anyway? That's a question that he is not afraid to pose to <laughs> yeah. the group. Sansa, not thrilled by this reception and in what is becoming a trend in season six, less willing to back down than John, who was kind of like, all right, well, you know, this didn't go our way. Yeah. Let's head out. Sansa, no, no, no. I would remind you that House Glover is pledged to House Stark, sworn to answer when called upon. Glover says, yes, my family served House Stark for centuries. We wept when we heard of your father's death. And you can tell he means it. That yeah. grief is very genuine. They loved Ned. They loved Ned. Everyone, everyone loved Ned. Everyone loved Ned. <laughs> I mean, that was a good guy. He's just not good at his job. <laughs> Sweet guy. Bad dad. When my brother was lord of this castle, he answered Rob's call and hailed him king of the north. And where was King Rob when the Ironborn attacked this castle? Ah, here's the Rob guys. When they threw my wife and children in prison and brutalized and killed our subjects, taking up with a foreign whore, getting himself and those who followed him killed. Ah, it always comes back to Talisa. Why? Well, in part because she's viewed as the person, the thing that distracted Rob from right. fighting for the just cause, from fighting for the thing that all these people believed was actually worth fighting for. And then back at camp, Davos is running down the new tally sheet. 
2,000 wildlings. All right, you guys, they're in the low 2,000s here. This is not enough. Sansa wants them to wait. She wants them to try to get House Kerwin. She's sure. She's sure they can get a few more men. Doesn't understand why John is rushing so much. Doesn't understand why he's bound to Davos. So he's your most trusted advisor now because he secured 62 men from a 10-year-old? Yeah, boy. If you don't recognize Lyanna Mormont's charm, Sansa, come on. It's tough. John says, Sir Davos is the reason I'm standing here talking to you. And he served Stannis for years. They're both making pretty good points here. But Sansa has another, Stannis, who lost the Blackwater, who murdered his own brother, who doesn't have a head. It's not enough. We need more men. And John says, we fight with the men we have. Ah, is that a mystery Ravens music we hear? Uh, then there's the Blackfish. You can talk about a just cause that is a definitely lost cause. He's holding Riverrun, his ancestral home, against a siege manned by the Freys, the hated Freys and the Lannisters. Jamie Lannister's cause is not just. He's a pawn in someone else's political game right now. The man he wants to parley with, though, the most of the battles of the War of the Five Kings took place in the Riverlands. The region has been brutalized. It lies in ruins. Its noble houses are exhausted. Its small folk are battered. Uh, banditry runs rampant. The ironborn, an ancient enemy, threaten the coast. And the phrase, a vile and hated house backed by the military and economic might of the Lannisters, rule the lands of rivers and streams. So here, Brendan Tully, the Blackfish, cuts a enormous, just a very solitary, lonely figure um, against this backdrop. He alone, with a coterie of loyal soldiers, yes, is the only leader willing to stand up against the phrase, willing to be like, this can't happen. It's the last stand, perhaps, of a once great house. And more than that, though, he's among a last of a generation, a cohort of leaders that included his brother Hoster, John Aaron, G.R. Mormont, Tywin, Prince Doran, Rhaegar, the Mad King, Sir Barristan, Arthur Dane, many others, all gone. And it must be an incredibly lonely feeling for him, but also yeah. one that makes facing certain death for a cause that he knows to be right, perhaps a little easier. Brendan says to Jamie as they're treating there on the drawbridge. Great exchange. Yeah. My nephew is marked for death no matter what. Hang him and be done with it. And Jamie says that it won't end with Ed Muir. But if the Blackfish surrenders, he'll spare the lives of his men. On my honor, he says. And Brendan rounds on him. Your honor, bargaining with Oathbreakers is like building on quicksand. Jamie now trying to appeal to the logic of this situation. You're out, you know, you're outnumbered. Uh, he says, the war is over, sir. Why sacrifice living men to a lost cause? And Brendan here gives him not just an emotional response, showing the anger that's just simmering, not even below the surface, like on the surface, but shows him that actually I've thought this through. I'm not just mad at you. I'm not just enraged. I thought about this. And he says, as long as I'm standing, the war is not over. This is my home. I was born in this castle and I'm ready to die in it. So you can either attack or try to starve us out. We have enough provisions for two years. Do you have two years, Kingslayer? Mm. Which is a good point. Listen, things are not great for the Lannisters right now. They're under siege. King Tommen is under the sway of a religious fanatic. Queen Marjorie is on trial. The alliance between the Lannisters and the Tyrells, which is the only thing keeping the realm together, is fraying. Do they have two years? We know Danny's coming. They probably don't. It's a great point. So the Blackfish walks away. Jamie says, you clearly have no intention of saving your men's lives. Why did you come to treat with me? And then the Blackfish, <laughs> with a great, absolutely a great Love closer. This. Siege is a dull. I wanted to come see you in person. Get the measure of you. Well, now you have. I, now I have. And he screws up his face like he's just tasted something extremely sour. 
I'm disappointed. So harsh. And then he just walks away. Brutal. He doesn't see Jamie as someone who is fighting for a just cause. He doesn't basically respect the opponent. Marjorie, Olena, do they respect their opponents? Mm. Well, what is Marjorie's cause at this point even? You know, we know the High Sparrow's cause. Everyone does. But is Marjorie working so hard at this point to trick other people that she's tricking herself or at least those closest to her. Right. Like nobody really knows it's here. Hard. It's tough to know. What is going on? Elena, who knows Marjorie better than anyone, can't even read her. And it's very important then that Marjorie smuggles this message into her grandmother's hands, this rose, I'm still with you, right? Confirming what we've suspected, which is that Marjorie is basically making herself a mole, trying to infiltrate the faith and right. bring it down from within. But This is complicated if she's not outwardly fighting for her family, outwardly fighting for her brother, outwardly fighting for the just cause, at least what her family thinks is the just cause. She's putting herself and the people she loves at risk. She's getting a little too cute here. Olena, she never masks her intentions. She isn't capable of it, sometimes to her credit, sometimes to her detriment. There are cases— Perhaps this one where swallowing her pride could mean forging an allegiance that brings strength to her cause, that brings safety and protection to her house. But she refuses, flat out refuses to even consider working with Cersei. When Cersei says, hey, we need each other. Right. We need each other to stop the sparrows. Elena just goes Well, it's quite a change of heart, by the way. True. And that's part of why Elena is like. I won't even indulge this conversation, right. let alone this idea, goes right for the jugular. I wonder if you're the worst person I've ever met. <laughs> at a certain age, it's hard to recall, but the truly vile do stand out through the years. You remember the way you smirked at me when my grandson and granddaughter were dragged off to their cells? I do. I'll never forget. Cersei's still trying here. <laughs> to be unfazed by that line, by the way, credit to Cersei for actually standing there and continuing yeah. to try to persevere and plow ahead. You love your granddaughter. I love my son. It's the only truth I know. We must defend them. Right. This is really, as we've talked about many times, Cersei's That's only it. true cause, protecting her family. One of her other causes, always vengeance, but her true cause is protecting her family. Just doesn't always manifest purely. Ah, Elena, again, fighting back. You have no support. Not anymore. Your brother's gone. The High Sparrow saw to that. The rest of your family have abandoned you. The people despise you. You're surrounded by enemies. Thousands of them. You're going to kill them all by yourself? Uh, well, <laughs> stay tuned. Sound. <laughs> stay tuned for the season finale of Game of Thrones. <laughs> You've lost, Cersei. It's the only joy I can find in mm. all this misery. Now, good rule of thumb on Game of Thrones. No matter how pure your original cause was, when one of your causes becomes someone else's misery and annihilation basically for just the satisfaction of seeing them fall, you're usually not in a good spot. Sometimes fighting for what you think is the just cause can be very dangerous. And a little, you know, spoiler alert, let's fast forward a couple episodes here. If Elena had compromised here, she would have done something very distasteful Mm. in her mind, aligning with Cersei, who she despises. But maybe she could have kept her family safe. Now, maybe not, because Cersei isn't exactly a long-term ally here. but Maybe the outcome is different, at least for a while. Her decision in this moment, it cements Cersei's Sept of Baylor plan. And of course, the hatred that Olena is already feeling, coupled with 
how her actions in this moment lead Cersei to do the thing that will then cement Elena's feelings further. This is what drives Elena into the various Alaria danny alliance in the finale. Ah, Brother Ray! Swedge and cocksucker. Swedge and cocksucker. Uh, for all you deadhead stands out there, Brother Ray, a.k.a. the show's version of the elder brother from the books, is here in a lovely, lush Riverland spot, great Gorgeous. for building. Gorgeous. That seems to be the show's stand-in for Quiet Isle, which is kind of like a um, secluded sept and religious retreat. So we don't have a grave digger, but oh boy, do we have a strong wood chopper? Is that Sandor Clegane's music? And by the way, this is one of the rare cold opens that the show has done. The fifth total, there's the pilot, Sam and the Walkers from 301. Tywin melting down ice from 401 and Cersei and the Prophecy, the first flashback from 501. Shouts to Zach Cram for that research. If it's wrong, blame him. Nice. Brother Ray <laughs> found the hound apparently inches from death, covered in bugs, and now he's trying not necessarily to convert him to religion. I think he knows that that's not going to happen. But he's trying to he's trying to bring him some measure of peace to at least show him that peace, after all the things he's done, is possible to get him to fight for a just cause, even if it's a lost one, his own soul. But that's not what's fueling the hound at the moment. What kept you going? Brother Ray asks the hound. Hate. Ooh. But it's interesting to know to to consider who he could mean here. Probably the mountain, I'm guessing, right? The mountain. He could mean himself. <laughs> yeah. And Brother Ray says, trying to imbue the, the hound's life with some kind of meaning, says, there's a reason you're still here. I am a big fucker and tough to kill. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it's a yeah. fair point. No, a reason. The gods aren't done with you yet. I've heard that before. Man was talking about a different god, though. Nice little foreshadowing here of the impending return of the Brotherhood. Ray tells the Hound that, hey, you know, there's something greater than us. There's a greater cause than us. And it doesn't matter what you religion you believe in. It just matters that you understand that. You know, you don't need to understand the particulars right now. Just know that. There's a meaning to your life. And Ray, later Ray, is addressing the parishioners, telling them about his own life as a murderer, essentially. And he says, that's all I was after talking about how he cut a boy's throat. That's all I was, a coward. We followed orders no matter the orders. And this line is um, super potent. But we weren't animals. Animals are true to their nature and we betrayed ours. If you're fighting the just cause... Even if it's the losing cause, you're being true to yourself. So that's worth trying for. And he continues. Now, I know I can't ever bring that lad back. All I can do with the time I've got left is bring a little goodness into the world. That's all any of us can do, isn't it? Never too late to stop robbing people, to stop killing people, and to start helping people. He's looking at the hound directly. He's not even breaking eye contact. He's looking at him for a good 10 seconds Absolutely. as he says this. And then three rogue members of an uh, organization that we thought Previously, were the good guys, the Brotherhood Without Banners, arrive. And the Hound sees them, and he knows immediately, just by his sense of violence, his understanding of how violence occurs and what violence targets, that these men are here to do something violent. So the Hound tries to stir Ray to defend this thing that you are trying to build. But Ray is committed to a cause. Uh, he says, violence is a disease. You don't cure a disease by spreading it to more people. And we can tell before the end that the hound 
is never going to buy into that. He says, you don't cure it by dying either. And that's a fair point. Later, when he finds Ray's body and the bodies of the slaughtered villagers, he grabs his axe and strides off. He has a cause of his own again, but is it just? I don't know. Wonderful. I don't know. Use that axe to get two chickens. Two chickens. Hey, guys. Just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to binge mode. Jason, Mm -hmm. bargaining with an Oathbreaker is like building on quicksand. I've heard that. But bargaining with a blackfish is just great fucking TV. So, now the cat's salty uncle is once again a shining presence on our screen and painful scale in some other character's ass. Oh. Please assemble the conclave, head to the Citadel, teach us everything we need to know about the Blackfish's history. The Blackfish. It is bitterly ironic that the responsibility of sustaining the legacy of House Tully, of maintaining its memory, of redeeming its honor, should fall to Sir Brendan Tully. Not that he wasn't a proud member of the House or didn't honor it with his deeds. No, he was, in a sense, the rejected member of this family, the Blackfish. The younger brother of the late Lord Hoster Tully, uncle to Cat Stark, was famed for his recalcitrance. Sir Brendan was an acclaimed warrior, is an acclaimed warrior, and he in particular won fame for his exploits during the Fifth Blackfire Rebellion, better known as the War of the Nine Penny Kings. Really cool names of the guys involved in that, by the way, <laughs> which occurred two decades before Robert's Rebellion. After Malus the Monstrous, the de facto leader of the group, and the rest of the Band of Nine were vanquished, Brynden returned home. He was young, handsome, from a great and honorable house, a renowned warrior, a great horseman, an excellent archer. And so like the trout sigil of House Tully, my man was a catch. Yeah, he was. <laughs> <laughs> Upon the death of their Lord Father, Hoster became Lord of Riverrun, Lord Paramount of the Trident. And as all lords do, he sought to maintain the position of his house by arranging the betrothal of his comely and competent younger brother, Brendan. There were no shortage of willing partners. The Brackens came a sniffing. <laughs> the phrase too, of course, because they Naturally. always had way, 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 way too many people and just need to marry some family members off. On and on and on. Brendan steadfastly refused all comers, and this annoyed Lord Hoster to no end. And the two quarreled often, mostly about this. During one of their more heated arguments, Hoster called his brother the black goat of the Tully flock. And Brendan adapted the jibe to his House Tully ancestry, and from that day forward, styled himself as the Blackfish. And I mean, he really leaned into this shit. Uh, he had his armor—I don't know how you do it—but he has his, had his armor blackened, so it has that black cast to it. And he fastens his cloak with an obsidian clasp in the shape of a leaping trout, so a blackfish. Later, after Robert's rebellion, weary of the constant squabbling with his brother, Brynden entered the service of John Aaron of the Vale, eventually rising to Knight of the Gate, which is a position that um, entails guarding the fortress which safeguards the footpath up to the Eyrie. It's an important position in the Vale. This, Lord Hoster sensed, was an insult. And that was the final break. He disowned the Blackfish, refusing even to speak his brother's name. When Rob Stark, Brynden's nephew, rode south, the Blackfish answered the call. 
His prowess as a horseman and excellent tactical mind, his expert knowledge of the Riverlands made him King Rob's most trusted and irreplaceable military commander. He was the eyes and ears of the Stark army. Rob's battlefield legend owes much of its undefeated luster to the Blackfish. It was his riders who provided the fainting movement which drew Jamie Lannister out of his defensive position at the Battle of Whispering Wood, leading to the Kingslayer's capture. He commanded the vanguard at the Battle of the Camps, Rob's tactical triumph, which lifted the Siege of Riverrun. And one can imagine that um, the Blackfish would do nothing less than command the vanguard in a battle for his own home. And for his contributions to the cause, Rob created the title Warden of the Southern Marches, essentially um, the guardian of the southern border of the Stark Kingdom. And it was Brynden, almost alone, who recognized that Tywin Lannister and his endless supply of pens and office supplies was the true danger to (laughs) the Stark cause. If one person could escape the twins during the massacre of the Red Wedding, it was the Blackfish. His sudden and exquisitely timed urge to empty his bladder (laughs) against a tree led to his being outside when the murdering kicked off. He leapt into the river and, true to his name, slipped away into the night. What a guy. Good guy. Fucking love him. Glad he's back. Hope he stays around for a while. I love him. (laughs) Maester. Yeah. Raise a fucking scepter. I agree with that. What was he supposed to say? Right. Well... We know what we're supposed to say, so let's head to the Sept like he'd want us to. Let's bathe in the light of the Seven by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode. Lightning round style, you go first. Number one. Number one, John loses some major, 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 major (laughs) points here for going to Bear Island, unspooling his history with G.R. Mormont, the Lord Commander who selected him. As his steward addressing Gior Mormont's niece and just failing to bring up that Gior gave him the ancestral sword of the Mormonts and that he's wearing it right now. <laughs> and not even, you're not even gonna say anything about that? I, you lose points. That's not bad. a great move. It's bad. There's like one moment where you think maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> if she had let him continue right. talking about Gior and how he was his steward, like maybe he was going to be like, actually, he gave me the sword. But she was like, none of that small talk. Very, very, very Mr. Manbun. Number tough. two. We really, we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't talk about our lord and savior, Ian McShane. Yeah. Brother Ray joining the Game of Thrones family for one brief, beautiful episode. And in case anyone missed this at the time, we just wanted to make sure that you guys are aware of his interaction with the media around his... Do we call it a cameo if it's more than one scene? Sure. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a cameo. Cameo It's a cameo. Cameo on PEDs. Yeah. So he spoiled... A couple things before this episode aired, and people got pissed. Real pissed. First of all, he said that his character would, quote, bring back a much-loved character who everybody thinks is dead. Which kicked off so much Lady Stoneheart. So much Lady Stoneheart, but also, like, other than Lady Stoneheart, there are only so many characters who fans of this story have been speculating about for a while. And in the books— Elder Brother, Quiet Isle, there's a character called the Grave Digger who really meets the description of the Hound. So for quite some time, book readers had theorized that the Hound was in fact alive and was in fact working in the keep of this holy man. (laughs) And so this was like, oh boy, Sanderback. Yep. Two, he says, 
they asked me if I wanted to do Game of Thrones, and I said, sure. (laughs) (laughs) This this next part's great. I'll be able to see my old pals, Charlie Dance. This is dope. (laughs) Imagine Imagine calling Tywin Lannister, Charlie. Yeah. (laughs) And Stephen Delane. And they said, no, we've killed them off. (laughs) (laughs) Tywin and Stannis. I wasn't sure whether I could commit. But then they said it would only be for one episode. So I said, so that means I must die at the end of it. Great. I'm in. So he's told people who are so excited about a British actor of his renown being cast on Game of Thrones and are speculating about his role. Could he be playing Euron? Who would this be? It was pretty easy to narrow down what role he was going to play based on the things he said and who he was going to bring back. So he's getting hammered for this, just shredded online. And his defense, he was just baffled by this. He couldn't believe how upset people were getting, how precious they were about the secrecy. And his response, one of the truly, truly iconic lines of all time. (laughs) I was accused of giving the plot away, but I just think, get a fucking life. It's only tits and dragons. I mean, it's fair. It's a fair point. What do you think he'd say about binge mode? (laughs) Get a fucking life. It's only tits and dragons. Get a fucking life. It's only talking about tits and dragons. (laughs) Number three. Brother Ray, Brother Ray Swearingen, talking to the hound, looking at the size of this fucking guy, wondering how the hell did you get beat in a fight? And he says, how many men did it take to cut you down? Just one. Must have been some kind of monster. He was a woman. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Oh, Brian. Number four. Uh, I regret to inform you guys that I have officially decided to leave the light of the seven after. Yeah, just this insight from the High Sparrow about being in the faith. Not sure this is uh, this is for me. It's just, Marjorie says, the desires that once drove me no longer do. Right. I'm sure that's the case. Congress does not require desire on the woman's part. Only patience. (laughs) The king must have an heir if we are to continue our good work. Forgive me. Sometimes the true path is hard to find. Those are the words of a man who does not fuck. (laughs) This Septon does not fuck. He does not. This is not a Septon who fucks. Septon Ray? He might fuck. Oh, Septon Ray fucks. Septon Ray. Septon Ray's living that young Pope life. <laughs> <laughs> Number five, some great stuff in this episode from Coop and Darnie, <laughs> better known as Cooper and Darnell. Jamie says he expects to command all the Lannister army before long. And he says to Bronn, who is fucking bitching and moaning about having to be here, where's my high-born, beautiful wife that you fucking promise me where's the castle remember i was on the beach with lawless and now i'm here at a fucking siege like showing dudes how to dig latrine pits not just dudes phrase phrase who i mean like wash your gray linen fucking cloak or you what whatever anyway and so jamie says to braun you can be the right hand I lost. One of the actually the most poetic things that jamie lannister has actually ever said it's really touching actually and Bronn says, you know, you promised me a lordship and a castle and a high-born beauty for a wife. And James says, and you get all three. A Lannister always, don't say it. Don't <laughs> fucking say it. <laughs> so good. He yeah. like literally rides off. Number six. <clears throat> Guys, just a yeah, quick rundown here of Yara Greyjoy's sisterly uh, missteps. And that's putting it very charitably yeah, in this episode. Very, 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 very savage stuff from, from Yara. First, she takes her castrated brother to a brothel. And when he says, why did we have to come here? She responds, some of us still like That's it. That's tough. Oh, my God. That's like, someone's got to explain how, it, how that works to her. Second, 
Nothing on the Iron Islands has an ass like that, she says, looking at one of the Valentine whores. <laughs> Doesn't interest you anymore? <laughs> Again, like, it's not his choice. Right. That's not, that's not, not how it works. Not to pursue this. Third, she's trying to give him a pep talk here. I know you've had some bad years. <laughs> <laughs> and he, at least, he's like, bad years? He almost spits his <laughs> ale out, like, on the table. Next, speaking of that ale, I'm tired of watching you cower like a beat dog. Drink the goddamn ale. This is like classic peer pressure stuff. Be an alcoholic now. She's forcing him to chug this. Then, if you're so broken that there's no going back, take a knife and cut your wrist. Wow. End it. The art graduate. Charming, charming lady. What a lass. Finally, after she's broken through a little bit, gotten Theon to sort of say, all right, I'm, you know, I'm here with you. I'll try. Now. Seeing as it's my last night on shore for a while, I'm going to go fuck the tits off of this one. Great stuff, Yara. That's great. Number seven. How is Arya still alive? I, I don't know. I mean. A lot of stabs. She got stabbed. To like vital like, organs. It was like one, two, three, and then a twist. And I think you die after that, personally. The twist is the part that seems like it would be really tough yeah. to recover. I mean, I mean, you're just, you're in there and some stuff that matters, you know? Yeah, that's, you're dead. And then Lady Crane is just like, here, drink this. And here is like a dirty shirt. Wrap this around your stomach. Oh, wow. I guess you're Wolverine. <laughs> Mal, why should we sacrifice one more life for someone else's podcast? Each episode, we're going to honor the person who played the game and advanced his or her cause in some tangible way. And this week, the winner of our champion's purse is... The Queen! Liana Mormont. What? A woman. Ten years old. Yes. Ten. But a lady of ten. <laughs> a lady of ten. ten. Stern. Marshall. Beyond her years. Your years. John's years. Mel's years? I think even Mel's years. Anyone's years. She's ten. She's ten. Lady Liana, in only a few minutes, leapt to the highest rung of northern leadership in the deepest quarters of our hearts, where once only darkness reigned. It's true. So as mentioned, she is the daughter of Mage Mormont, the niece of the late Gior and the cousin of Ser Jorah. Women warriors are a tradition on Bear Island. This is, this is a commonplace thing because um, if you look at Bear Island on a map, I'll wait till you Google that. Go ahead, Google Bear Island Game of Thrones map. And you bring that up. It's a relatively small island, low population. And where they are in the middle of the Bay of Ice puts them directly in the path of Ironborn raids and wildling raids. The Ironborn, in fact, have conquered the island many, many times over the centuries. It's a disputed land for them. They still lay claim to it. And they use it as a base for reaving the mainland north for many centuries. And legend has it, King Roderick Stark won Bear Island for the north in a wrestling match. Since then, the island was passed down to the Mormonts. Shouts to you, Liana Mormont. You are a fucking champion. She's like in... As spoiler, she'll be in John's like war council. She's, she's ten. She is one of the fastest risers to like fan favorite status in the show. She's John. fucking ten. And also, if you are John, King in the North, who knows if he's it's still going to be King in the North in season seven? We hope so. Or whoever is running House Stark has to be like, I guess Bran and Lyanna Stark are getting married at some point. I mean, you have to like you have to give her like a castle. You have to give her something. Well, friends. Mm-hmm. The desires that once drove us no longer do. But Congress does not require desire on the podcaster's part. No. Only patience. That's right. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today and that you will join us again next time when we will be discussing Season 6, Episode 8, No One. 
Until then, remember, a binge motor always... Don't say it. Theon, brother. Yes. Come do this keg stand. <laughs> you came on this trip. I did. If you're not going to pledge for the Valentine frat, why are you here? I, do, with, uh, do the keg stand. Okay, fine. <laughs>